that's my 40 some odd years of my life. Devastated at the damage, an inside look as residents return to Monty Lake while wildfires continue to rage across BC. Plus, I don't know if I'm going to get my car out or how I'm going to get home, and I was feeling very vulnerable. Why a parking company is apologizing after this woman was locked out of a parkade and how it could happen to you, also. It means everything, it's part of our culture. Why this Musqueam canoe racing return decades in the making is a celebration of more than the competition. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Wildfires continue to rage through BC's interior, leaving communities devastated and firefighters exhausted. We were there as residents returned to see what was left of Monty Lake after the White Rock Lake fire tore through. And as we hear from Amadagahi, we're also seeing the impact this fire season is having on those on the front lines. Yeah. This was once home. I mean, you can't see what's over there now. It used to be a beautiful valley, and now it's a black valley. For the people who came back hoping to pick up the pieces, but are today finding in reality and the rubble, there isn't much that survived the fire. I got, you know, my main stuff out, which you're supposed to, but uh, that's my 40-some-odd years of my life. Yeah. Heartbreak aside, frustration here goes beyond what has happened to their house. It starts with what Michelle Mazinov says was the experience of being told that lives would be in danger had they stayed through an evacuation order before the flames arrived. Saying, okay, here's a, we get an evacuation order. Um, are, you, are you leaving? And we're like, no, not right at the moment. We're going to gather our stuff. And they immediately told me, well, then have you notified your next of kin uh, for, so you tell them your dentist so they can identify your dental records, which was, that's not how you warn people or that was so unprofessional. It's believed more than two dozen buildings were lost in the community. In the face of the incoming fire, many homeowners stayed as long as they could to try and save their property. Robert Hugh was no different. And there was flames here, started fighting them, but like I says, it was just like this wind tornado came in and started flying debris. Tried to battle it off, but uh, couldn't save the place. In the days after the White Rock Lake fire ripped through Monty Lake, many area residents have criticized BC Wildfire Service crews and their decisions. In a response, lead firefighters are asking for understanding and compassion, calling this a catastrophic event and not just a wildfire. On Friday, an incident commander may have summed their incredibly difficult summer the best on Twitter. Kyle Young writing, Please know from someone who has only been able to spend six days with his family since June 30th, I can attest to the dedication from every single person who is employed on these fires. Then asking the province to come together and support each other. Now we can see where we can rebuild and make it better. In Monty Lake, there is plenty of cleanup ahead. The critical infrastructure needs rebuilding. And so will life, as they knew it before. Amadagahi, Global News. Activity on the White Rock Lake wildfire is expected to increase over the next few days. Global's Darian Matassafung was in the North Okanagan today talking to local residents about their concerns. 
I gotta admit, it's concerning, right? So we'll, we'll hope for the best and, you know, plan for the worst is what we'll do. Residents in Armstrong are preparing themselves as the White Rock Lake wildfire is expected to grow substantially in the next 24 hours, as winds are forecasted to hit up to 60 kilometers an hour. It's definitely nerve-wracking for sure, especially having a family, it's nerve-wracking, but I think we have a good team that's out there fighting and we've got a good local department and I'm not overly concerned, but there is definitely that level of fear. I'm quite concerned because we did live uh, when they had the Falkland or uh, fire years ago. We lived out that area and it was pretty bad. And when I saw afterwards how close it actually was, it was kind of scary. <laughs> BC Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth has asked travelers to stay away from Armstrong, Spalamsheen, the Okanagan Indian Band, Enderby, and parts of the North Okanagan in case thousands of residents are forced to evacuate. Armstrong residents say that is a message they support. I thought it was, I thought it was a good thing. Um, you know, with everything going on with COVID and the fires, I think we got to look after ourselves first and foremost. I have to agree with him. We've got, you know, we're on the brink of possibly another alert, another order if it comes down to that. And I feel like the, yeah, visitors need to go. We don't have a lot of space. We've got tons of evacuees as it is. Well, I, I understand that they would do that because um, it would be hard to get people that are here accommodations and like luckily for us we have a place we can go to but other people might not. And there are people staying here from other communities that have got evacuated. Officials are saying the next 48 hours will be critical for the White Rock Lake wildfire, which is still around 58,000 hectares in size. Heavy smoke in the area has limited aerial attacks and has made it difficult to gauge how much the fire has grown in the last day as well. Darian Matasafung, Global News. In response to an evacuation alert in Armstrong, Interior Health is moving residents of a long-term care home to the Lower Mainland. Residents of the Pleasant Valley Manor are being temporarily relocated to care homes in the Vancouver Coastal Health region. Interior Health is contacting families directly with details. Residents were taken to Vancouver in buses on Friday afternoon. Oh yeah, it was insane. They were lined up all the way up the hill anyone wanting to confirm their loved one's current location can call 1-877-442-2001. And in the northern interior, several structures have been destroyed between Mackenzie and Chetwind due to the Pine River wildfire. It has grown from 150 to more than 2,000 hectares overnight. It's burning extremely vigorously and has impacted a BC Hydro transmission line. Crews have been working to set up protection for structures, including hydro poles along Highway 97. The route has been closed to traffic from Powder King Road to just north of the Pine Pass Summit. And elsewhere in the province, an evacuation order remains in effect in the Squamish-Lillooet area. The Squamish Regional District issuing an order for properties near the Yalakom Valley. This comes as the McKay Creek fire rages on north of Lillooet. It is now estimated at more than 36,000 hectares. 
The massive Tremont Creek wildfire burning southeast of Ashcroft has increased in size once again. At last estimate, it was around 43,000 hectares. That's about 5,000 hectares larger than it was on Friday morning. The fire caused the evacuation of the entire town of Logan Lake on Thursday. There are also properties in Cherry Creek, Tobiano and Savannah on evacuation alert. And tonight, the Thompson-Nicola Regional District has issued evacuation orders for more than 100 properties west of Lower Nicola. Evacuees are being directed to the MacArthur Island Sports Center in Kamloops. And let's check in now with meteorologist Yvonne Shell. Yvonne, big question is, any relief in the interior in the coming days? Yeah, Neethi, we're actually watching this frontal system, and this will be key right across the province. It's bringing rain heavy at times along the north coast, and the timeline will be for this evening. But it is going to work its way along the southern half of the province. And what this could mean is cooler temperatures and even the chance for some showers as we get in towards our Sunday and into early next week for the interior. But over the next 24 hours, we still have the heat. And the reason why we've got the heat warning that's still in effect for the following areas, Metro Vancouver included within that, is because we do have overnight lows that'll just get down to 15 and potentially 18 degrees. It'll still be hot overnight tonight. We're not seeing a reprieve from the heat there. We still have the smoky skies bulletin blanketing across the province, so still smoke over the next 24 and 48 hours. We've had an improvement. Yesterday, these numbers were at 10. We're sitting at 4 right now for most areas near Metro Vancouver, 5 stretching in towards the Fraser Valley. Fire danger rating, however, still at high to extreme. I'll have more coming up very shortly. Neethu? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. And this is what Metro Vancouver's smoky skies look like from space. This video captured by the ISS live stream as the space station passed over Vancouver at 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon. The system called ISS Above is an electronic device that lights up whenever the International Space Station is nearby. Health authorities have dropped the extreme heat alert for the Lower Mainland. However, a less severe heat warning remains in effect. The city of Vancouver has opened more than a dozen cooling centers as part of its response to this summer's third heat wave. One of them, the gathering place on Helpkin Street, is open overnight. Anyone wanting to stay cool from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. can sign up for a blanket and a cot. Homicide investigators are appealing for witnesses and cell phone or dash cam video after a young man was stabbed to death in Whistler overnight. The integrated homicide investigation team is gathering evidence at the crime scene in the 4100 block of Village Green near the Listel Hotel Whistler. Just after 2 this morning, police say the stabbing victim showed up at the Whistler Medical Clinic. When Sea to Sky RCMP arrived, the 26-year-old man had succumbed to his injuries. The victim's identity is not being released, but investigators say he was not known to police nor believed to be associated to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. Police believe the fatal attack was an isolated incident with no ongoing risk to the public. Multiple units have been damaged at a mobile home park in Surrey after a fire ripped through this morning. More than 20 firefighters were fighting this blaze near 126A Street and 112th Avenue around 7 a.m. Smoke and flames spread to two mobile homes and an RV. The fire was knocked down quickly and an investigation is now underway. One person has been taken to hospital with burns, but he is expected to recover. Two people have been displaced by the incident and are being cared for by emergency social services.
A B.C. woman is angry and frustrated after she found herself locked out of a downtown Vancouver parkade after dark despite paying the late night rate. Kristen Robinson has more on the corporate screw up that left her feeling unsafe and what happened when the story hit social media. Hours after her vehicle was trapped in this in-park lot, Casey Jolos takes a photo of the revised sign. As of Saturday, the parkade gate closed and locked at 8 p.m. But on Friday, it was 11 p.m. I don't know if I'm going to get my car out or how I'm going to get home, and I was feeling very vulnerable. The radio host had just finished working a late shift when she returned to the Vancouver House lot on Seymour Street before 10 p.m. to find the gate closed, even though she'd paid to park until 11. When she called Garda for after-hour access, she says she really felt the squeeze. And I'd have to give them $60 cash to get my car out. And I said, how did this happen? Because the sign says it's open till 11 and it's not even 10 o'clock. And they said, yeah, I know, this is, this is just something that happens. Lowe says a friend also called Garda but was told the same thing. So she decided to cough up the cash. They told her someone's going to come and take me to a bank machine. No one came and somehow a car eventually came out of the gate and I just ran in and got my car and drove home. Still frustrated, she tweeted about the parking shakedown, generating an outcry. I felt really angry at first when I heard that this is just a thing that happens, but then I felt scared. Especially since the VPD just revealed reports of stranger sexual assaults were up 129% last month compared to July two years ago. The majority of attacks in the Granville Entertainment District nearby. I don't want to be hanging around downtown Vancouver kind of against my will. In a statement, Impark says we're working directly with the customer to address the situation and are grateful it was brought to our attention. They apologized profusely. Uh, they said that actually this parking lot in particular closes at 8 o'clock now due to COVID. They need to ensure that if you're updating your policies, you update your signage. Um, I also think you need to recognize that this is not a cash society anymore. And so whoever is requesting cash, um, you know, late at night doesn't make sense to me. You need to provide people with options to pay. But the most important thing is to give that person a chance to get their vehicle and to get home safely. Garda did not respond to Global News. Impark does not oversee the contractor responsible for after-hours access, but is ensuring its parkade signage is changed to reflect the earlier closing. I hope that you can safely park your car somewhere and you don't feel like you're potentially going to be scammed. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A handful of anti-maskers were shouted down when they tried to disrupt a teacher's COVID safety rally in Vancouver this afternoon. With COVID cases rising, teachers and parents are calling for a mandatory mask mandate inside schools, better ventilation systems and remote learning options when classes return this fall. They fear the situation could be more dangerous than last year because of the fast-spreading Delta variant. BCTF President Terry Mooring was among those in attendance. Police were on hand but took no action to prevent the anti-maskers from disrupting the rally. 
There has been another coyote attack in Stanley Park. It happened last night around 9 o'clock. Conservation officers say a man was walking near the pitch and putt when he was bitten on the leg. He suffered minor injuries. Conservation officers are urging people to stay out of the park or face a high risk of encountering a coyote, particularly at dawn and dusk. They are stepping up trapping efforts in certain parts of the park. Another sign of just how dry it is in the southern interior, the province is increasing the drought level to four. That means people who don't get their water from local utilities are being asked to cut their water consumption in half. That includes people who get water directly from any of the large lakes or the Okanagan River Channel. If drought conditions worsen, the province is warning it may take action to protect aquatic ecosystems. A new study focusing on Pacific salmon has found the fish no longer have access to their much-needed spawning streams. The data involves 14 populations in B.C.'s lower Fraser River. The study points to barriers such as dams, dikes and road culverts as the reason. Researchers say the human impact is worsening the situation, which is already being negatively impacted by climate change. They also warn that reduced spawning can lead to a drop in food supply throughout the ecosystem. Victoria police are releasing additional images of the suspects in the destruction of a landmark statue in the capital city. During a protest on Canada Day, Captain Cook was torn down and thrown into the inner harbour. Police are circulating photos of three suspects, including a newly identified person. Anyone with information on any of the three men is asked to contact Victoria Police. The toppling of the British explorer's statue was just one of several acts of vandalism on July 1st in response to the ongoing discovery of unmarked graves at former residential schools. Captain Cook was recovered by divers. Those who've been working towards peaceful reconciliation say it was a saddening sight. Coming up after the break, helping Haiti after an earthquake claims hundreds of lives. The hospital in Lakai is overwhelmed already. The latest from the hard-hit nation as some Canadians head there to provide humanitarian aid and how you can support. Plus, Ottawa vows to help refugees as the Taliban continues to gain ground in Afghanistan. More than 300 people are now confirmed dead and at least 1,800 injured after a 7.2 magnitude earthquake that struck Haiti this morning. Footage streamed on social media shows damaged buildings in Lake High. The epicenter of the quake was 125 kilometers west of the country's capital, Port-au-Prince. Haiti's prime minister says the earthquake has caused deaths and damage in various parts of the country. Preliminary magnitude reports suggest the earthquake was stronger than the 7.0 magnitude quake that caused widespread devastation on the island nation in 2010. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says Canada is standing ready to provide any kind of assistance. A pair of Vancouver first responders is on their way to Haiti tonight to help with recovery efforts there. Paramedic Nadia Vander Hayden and her partner, firefighter Zach Pendergrast, are taking a red eye to Toronto and they'll fly from there to Port-au-Prince. They'll be helping in one of the hardest hit cities in the south of Haiti, Lake High. The pair is with a charity called Hero Client Rescue. It's made up of first responders and medical personnel from North America and Europe who respond to disasters in Haiti. 
My role as a critical care paramedic, I work in aviation medicine. Uh, a lot of the transports that we're going to be doing in, in, in Haiti are by air, whether rotor or fixed wing. So I'll be assisting with those transports, helping with the logistics and, and coordinating, uh, I basically triage of who needs to go and when, and um, helping assess on the ground my medical director based in Port-au-Prince and to help determine more resources that we need to send. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will ask the Governor General on Sunday to dissolve Parliament, setting the stage for the country's 44th general election. Election Day is expected to be on September 20th. Our chief political correspondent, David Aiken, sets up the contest with a look at each party's objectives, but also explains how this pandemic election will be a different experience for voters. David. Well, the goal for the incumbent Liberals might seem pretty obvious. It's majority or bust. A minority government will not be good enough for the Trudeau Liberals. And in fact, if that's what happens at the end of this campaign, you can expect some Liberals may start to talk about a leadership change. Now, the polls for the last year have been consistent. Liberals have always been leading, but their lead as they start this campaign is not quite big enough to guarantee that majority. So this campaign will matter. For Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, anything less than forming a minority government will be seen as a failure. And remember in 2019, Andrew Scheer's Conservatives won the popular vote and improved their party standing by about 20 seats, and yet Scheer lost his job. O'Toole has probably the most difficult task ahead of any leader. The NDP and Jagmeet Singh look set to move from fourth place in the House of Commons to third place. A bigger caucus in a minority government where they hold the balance of power? That is the NDP sweet spot. And for that reason, Singh's campaign just might be the one to watch. As for the Bloc Québécois and its leader, Yves-François Blanchet, the BQ have 32 seats now, and the poll suggests they could finish the campaign with about the same. And if they do that, the Bloc just might block that Liberal majority. As for the Greens and leader Annemi Paul, well, the party is in complete disarray and it might count itself lucky if it holds on to just Elizabeth May's seat on Vancouver Island. Now, this pandemic election will also be a very different one for voters. Fewer mass rallies. Less likelihood a candidate will knock on your door, as campaigns will rely much more heavily on personalized digital media for voter outreach. And how we vote is likely to be very different. Elections Canada believes as many as 5 million Canadians will vote this time by mail. That compares to just 50,000 that voted by mail in 2019. And since each one of those mail-in ballots has to be opened by hand and counted by hand, unlike the U.S., there are no machines involved in Canada, well, Elections Canada says it could be a few days after Election Day before we get the final result and really get a sense of what the next parliament might look like. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. Ottawa has pledged to accept up to 20,000 refugees from Afghanistan. They include women leaders, human rights activists, journalists, persecuted minorities, and members of the LGBTQ community. The announcement comes as months of frustration turn to fear over the fate of hundreds of former interpreters and their families still stuck in the country, many being hunted by the Taliban militants as they push their offensive across Afghanistan. So far, four military planes have ferried former interpreters and their families to safety as the Taliban continues to close in on the Afghan capital of Kabul. And coming up, a historic agreement. The new framework laying the foundation for reconciliation of Haida Nation title and rights. Plus, why a popular piece of public art in Vancouver is being removed for now.
The Haida Nation and the federal and provincial governments have signed a major agreement that sets the stage for reconciliation. The historic Changing Tide framework is based on the recognition of the Haida Nation's inherent title and rights to the Haida Gwaii terrestrial area, including the right to self-government. Talks will be based on the understanding that Haida inherent title exists rather than having to be proven. The agreement commits to good faith negotiations to reconcile laws and resource management in the marine area of Haida Gwaii. Private land and municipal government operations will remain under provincial jurisdiction. A COVID-19 cluster is impacting operations at a Trans Mountain worksite in the northern interior. A total of 16 employees and contractors in the Vailmont area have tested positive. Another 50 close contacts are now in self-isolation. Northern Health is calling it a COVID cluster rather than an outbreak. The health authority says the majority of infections were not acquired at the site and there is little evidence of ongoing transmission among employees. In light of the cluster, the company has implemented further COVID safety measures. Canada will be getting 40 million more doses of the Moderna vaccine. The guaranteed supply is thanks to a new agreement with the manufacturer for additional, additional shipments of the mRNA doses until 2023, with an option to extend until 2024. There's also an option to purchase another 65 million shots, and this comes as the world adjusts to the potential for a third booster shot aimed at increasing protection against more vaccine-resistant variants of the virus. Well, this weekend is your last chance to catch a glimpse of a popular piece of Vancouver public art before it gets restored. This is a bit of a bird's eye view of the Trans Am totem, which is being removed and dismantled in order to repair damage from birds. The 10-meter-high artwork by Marcus Bocott includes five scrap cars, an old-growth cedar tree, a solar panel, and lights. It was installed along Quebec Street in 2015 as a temporary exhibit for the Vancouver Biennale. Two years ago, the Biennale donated the piece to the city with an $84,000 agreement to cover maintenance, restoration and rehoming costs. We've done a con conservation assessment of the piece and sort of assessed what uh, the habitation of birds in the artwork has done to it and particularly to the paint finishes and the interior of the, of the cars. And so um, in order to properly clean the piece out, and um, restore the paint finishes and to design a system that will minimize uh, bird uses of the, of the sculpture. Um, we're, we're taking it apart and taking it down, bringing it into a, into a warehouse. The colors should be more vibrant uh, and ideally we'll, we'll have made it so that it's not as great an environment for birds staying out in. Since Northeast False Creek is being reshaped for a future without the viaducts, the piece will not be returning here. The restoration is expected to take about a year with the goal of having the Trans Am totem on display by next summer. The city says it's kicking the tires on a few new locations, but nothing has been decided yet. BC Ferry's newest island-class ferry has arrived. The yet-to-be-named ferry completed a 67-day journey from Romania to Vancouver Island. Final inspections will be completed at Point Hope Maritime before the ferry goes into operation next year, serving Quadra and Gabriola Island. The new vessel will join two other hybrid electric ferries already in service. This coming weekend, the ferries are expected to be busy as people escape the wildfire smoke. 
Someone in Vancouver is going to be a lot wealthier after buying a winning Lotto Max ticket or last night's draw. The winning ticket is worth a whopping $15 million. The winner will have 52 weeks to claim their prize. So far in 2021, BC residents have claimed $111 million in Lotto Max winnings. Coming up next, a back-to-school backpack blitz. To really help the parents get the kids ready to go back to school. How 1,000 vulnerable BC kids are getting some help returning to the classroom just ahead. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories on Global News Hour at 6. Brought to you in part by Fortis BC, BC's energy solutions provider. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. We are handing out a thousand backpacks uh, for free for kids. A back-to-school backpack blitz, how it's helping some of those who need it most with school right around the corner. But first, let's check back in with meteorologist Yvonne Schell for another look at the forecast. Many of those kids haven't really been able to enjoy the outdoors because of heat and smoke. Any rain on the way, Yvonne? Yeah, go figure. We're hoping to have some rainfall, and we are going to be tracking a frontal system that is going to push in across the southern half of the province. Now, the timeline in just a moment, but the hazy conditions out there, so if you do have respiratory issues, we've had a slight improvement at the air quality, but we'll continue to see uh, smoke across the region, and it'll be widespread for the interior. It's hot this evening. We're sitting at 25 degrees currently. We've got a southwesterly wind at 13 kilometers per hour. Highs today were up to 28 degrees. We're close to seeing a record-breaking day of 29 that was set back in 2010, but today is the last day of the heat wave, and we are going to see a nice change on the way. Hot spot, though, was Lillooet today, 39 degrees, shattering an old record of 38 degrees that was set close to 2008, and still it was hot in towards the interior and very dry through the day today. Air quality health index for the interior, most spots into the Okanagan still sitting at high to very high. And we're starting to see that slow improvement, especially along the island areas near Victoria, sitting in the low range. A concern for tomorrow, we do have some winds that are going to pick up more of a southwesterly direction. Areas in towards the Okanagan Valley could see sustained winds at 20, but we could see some of those gusts picking up to 40 kilometers per hour that could be fanning the flames across the region. So we are watching with the winds picking up for the interior tomorrow and still seeing widespread smoke right across the region. Here's a look at what we're seeing, though. This is the frontal system that is going to bring in cooler temperatures and the poten potential for some wet weather. It'll move in along the northern half of the province. Rain will be heavy at times, 10 and up to 20 millimeters. And then it moves in with an increase in cloud cover along the south coast. That'll be for Sunday, leading in towards our Monday. Unsettled on Monday for Metro Vancouver, a chance of showers, not much in terms of precipitation, but we are looking at the chance of showers and cooler temperatures for both Monday and Tuesday for the interior and it'll be much needed and we'll see that drop in temperatures as a result with the temperature trend in the interior showing us temperatures getting back into the low 20s. Instability is there though for the piece tomorrow. We are going to see it across the central interior with the risk of thunderstorms. All areas to the words the south though the concern for tomorrow will be still the heat temperatures into the low 30s and the winds are going to pick up across the region with gusts potentially up to 40 kilometers per hour. Now along the south coast will still have hazy conditions. We are going to watch that increase in cloud cover. Temperatures tomorrow with the Humidex feeling like 32 degrees. A chance for some showers. We're hoping on Monday and a touch cooler back down to 22. Nithu? Sounds great. Thanks, Yvonne.
Well, backpacks filled with school supplies are being distributed to 1,000 vulnerable children. The City Reach Care Society is hosting its annual back-to-school blast event this afternoon in Vancouver and in Port Coquitlam. Organizers say their goal is to show children that there is a community around them that believes in the best for their future. More information is available at cityreach.org. We've had uh, donors, different corporate sponsors, church sponsors that have all generously donated uh, to the Back to School Blast. We raised over $25,000 to be able to put today on and uh, buy the backpacks, pack the backpacks, and then distribute them to the families uh, in need. Great initiative. It's been such a <laughs> tough time for young people especially. Yeah, and that's one of the best parts is having your new yeah. stuff for school, so it's nice to include everybody in that. Absolutely. What's the best part of your sports segment coming up, Barry? <laughs> I can't choose. It's fantastic from top to bottom, as always. Uh, the Canucks had a signing today, but one of their restricted free agents, so we'll uh, tell you who they got uh, signed to paper. And Roger Sloan of Merritt. I mean, playing on the PGA Tour, there's a lot of pressure, but when you need to keep, uh, keep your tour card, uh, that's really huge pressure. And Roger, who I think Yvonne had a lesson with yes, a few I years have ago. Yes, great guy. Yeah, great he's guy. a great guy. He uh, really stepped up today, so highlights of him getting very close to uh, keeping that tour card. So we'll have highlights coming up. Does sound great all around. Thanks, Barry. Also coming up, celebrating a canoe competition. Come back. We're there to respect the water. So for us, that's the importance. A racing legacy returns after decades. What it means to the Musqueam community. Next. Well, it was paddles up and take it away on the Fraser River in Vancouver today. The Musqueam Nation hosting canoe races in front of their community for the first time in more than 30 years, bringing together First Nations people from across Coast Salish territory. Paul Johnson has the story. On the murky waters where the Fraser meets the ocean. Another sport has resumed after pandemic cancellation. Get out. Because of COVID, we were restricted, obviously, so we're uh, feeling a good spirit of gathering again and getting back out on the water is a uh, really good feeling. If you were to trace back the history of sporting competitions, it's worth pointing out that this one is based on what's probably the oldest transportation technology in this part of the world. Pre-contact, that's how we used to travel from community to community, was on the water by canoe, so... Uh, that was our main transportation to get to Vancouver Island, like I said, Washington State, to different areas. The return of canoe racing to the Musqueam Nation comes after a 30-year hiatus. The comeback was actually meant to be last summer, but that got cancelled because of the pandemic. Its return is both a resumption of competition and a gathering for First Nations from throughout the region. We have nations uh, here today from all over BC, uh, from the island, uh, as well as from up north uh, in the Okanagan. We'll try to get through these canoe races as safely as possible. Most of the canoes are hand-built by each respective nation. In fact, the Musqueams have their own carving shed right down near the river. Well, testing their building skills is one component of this. The most memorable part is certainly the human connections made through teamwork and competition. My daughter is out there with my nephew. Over 200 paddlers and 50 canoes will compete through the finals on Sunday. On the Musqueam Nation lands, Paul Johnson, Global News. And best of luck to all those who do compete.
And coming up, swimming with sharks. The incredible footage of leopard sharks by the shores of a Southern California beach. Miss the 111th annual PE Fair. Enjoy the long standing tradition at a reduced capacity with health and safety precautions in place. See all your favorite shows and attractions, including the West Coast Lumberjack Show, nightly pyro musical finale, and more. Plus, all the fair food you can eat. Head to Lafarge Lake Park for Scott Fest BC. Be part of the Highland Games that include caper tossing, Celtic music and dancing, and games for the kids. Info at scottfestbc.com. For our BC, I'm Michael Newman. If you wanna know, it's on the hub. If you wanna show, it's on the hub. If you wanna know, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's back with a look at sports, and as promised, it's going to be great from start to finish. So where do we begin? Uh, geez, I don't know if I want to live up to that. No, I did say that, didn't I? Of course it's going to be great. Thanks, Neethu. The uh, Canucks have signed forward Jason Dickinson to a three-year, $7.95 million contract. The Canucks acquired Dickinson from Dallas last month for a third-round pick in this past draft. Dickinson's a dependable two-way forward who can score. He'll get more minutes in Vancouver, definitely upgrade the bottom six. So that pretty much just leaves Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson unsigned with training camp less than six weeks away. Merritt BC's Roger Sloan was a bit of a late bloomer when it came to getting his PGA Tour card. Sloan is now 34 and he's just completing his fourth full season on tour. But if he's going to play a fifth next season, he needs to have a very high finish in the regular season ending tournament this week in North Carolina, the Wyndham Championship. He needs to finish in the top 125 to retain full tour privileges next year. And it also gets him into the FedEx Cup playoffs, which start next week. Sloan started the day tied for 37. I believe he needs to get to about sixth or better in this tournament to get enough points to get into the top 125. Shot 664 yesterday, dialed in again today. Ten-footer at number 12 for birdie, got to nine under, tied for fifth, so he's right there. Now he birdied the 12th and 15th as well to get to minus 11, and then the tee shot at 16. Pretty decent but would uh, make par. He missed a five-footer for birdie on 17. Didn't have TV coverage of that, so he had his chances to go even lower. 18th Sloan with a 10-footer for his seventh birdie, but a bit of a tentative stroke. Still a 64 again, tied for third. If he maintains that spot tomorrow, he will finish 101st, and that would be mission accomplished. Adam Hadwin is at 9-under. He's going to make the playoffs. Nick Taylor at minus 7. Needs to be top 5 like Sloan to get into the playoffs, but since Nick won at Pebble Beach. He is exempt through 2023. Wire-to-wire leader so far, Russell Henley, sinks the eagle putt here at the 15th, but just one under 69 today. He leads by three at minus 15. Roger Sloan just four back. Final round goes tomorrow. Vancouver Whitecaps uh, need to be getting some more victories. They keep on picking up crumbs on the road. A fifth straight draw last night in San Jose. Uh, All that being said, they still have just one win in their past 14 matches. Mark DeSantos just praying for a victory, but it did not come. Brian White shot stopped by JT Marchinkowski after a great run and pass from Ryan Raposo. And the Whitecaps, that was their best opportunity by far. 0-0, don't let the score fool you. It wasn't that exciting. Shea Salinas, the former Whitecap shot blocked by Ranko Vezalinovic. So at least the Whitecaps are defending better. They had a stretch there when they lost 
All those games in a row where they were conceding far too much. And, of course, they have Max Cropo, who stops Jeremy Ibubisi off the, with the shot, and it goes off the post. Keeps it out and ends nil-nil. Whitecaps move out of the basement, a point up on expansion Austin, and the Caps visit Austin next Wednesday in their next match. All right, opening weekend of the English Premiership, Manchester United hosting Leeds at Old Trafford. Pick it up, tied at one, but United explode for four second-half goals. Mason Greenwood showing the speed, and that top speed fires it inside the far post, 2-1 United. And then another long ball, this time for Bruno Fernandez, who fires in his hat-trick goal. Man United off to a rockin' start as they thump Leeds 5-1. Christian Pulisic and Chelsea entertaining Crystal Palace, 27th minute. Marcus Alonso on the free kick. That is perfect. Curls it into the top corner. 1-0 Chelsea. And then the American Pulisic loves playing Palace. Four matches, four goals. Make that 5-5. Five and five. Pounces on the Mason Mount cross. 2-0 for the Blues. An impressive start for Chelsea. Trevor Chalobah will thump one inside the post from distance. That's about 25 yards out. What a shot. Chelsea take their opener. 3-0. And we've got Liverpool at Norwich City who were elevated from the championship division last season, which they won. But the premiership is another story. 26th minute, Diogo Jota gets a bit of a fortunate bounce. Ball falls to his feet and he converts. 1-0 Liverpool. Second half now 2-0. And Mo Salah settles it and then smashes it. A left-footed laser world-class from the Liverpool star as they breeze past Norwich City. 3-0. And one more to show you. Jamie Vardy and Leicester City at home today to Wolverhampton. Fox's fifth place finishes the last couple of seasons. Ricardo Pereira with the throw-in gets it back and just powers his way through two defenders over to Jamie Vardy, who skillfully redirects it into the back of the old onion bag. Vardy at 34 can still score. Leicester City open with a 1-0 win over Wolves. Football of our kind here. Gridiron, CFL from Edmonton, Elks and Alouettes. Montreal's first game after getting the bye in week one. Late first, Vernon Adams to Jake Winicky Makes the diving catch. Wasn't touched down, so goes in for the touchdown. 7-3, Alouettes after one after the great play by Jake Winicky. Second quarter, Al's special teams are going to come through. Mario Alford. Going to take the punt at his own 25, goes to the sideline, tiptoes through, then accelerates, and he is gone. Well, maybe the punter can get him. No, that's not going to happen. 30-13 to 13 right now for Montreal, late in the fourth. The Elks are going to go to 0-2. They visit the Lions Thursday at BC Place. Hey, NFL preseason action from Vegas. Raiders and Seahawks. Russell Wilson not playing. A lot of the starters not playing preseason these days in the NFL. And Geno Smith at quarterback. Russell happy he's not in the game after Smith gets hammered. It is 7-0 for the Raiders in the first quarter. National Bank Tennis from Toronto men's semifinal. Stefano Tsitsipas against six foot American, a six foot eleven American, Riley Opelka, a mountain of a man who looks like a mountain man. No slam dunking in tennis, but Opelka really uses that height. Seventeen aces, uses the big serve to set up the put away. The big man can serve, but he's also improved his net play, and he's pretty tough to lob over as well. Smash there to set up match point. And then on match point, rips another unreturnable past Tsitsipa. And the 23-year-old Riley Apelka 
On to the final where he will meet top seed Daniel Medvedev of Russia. The women are in Montreal. Italy's Camilla Giorgi taking on American Jessica Pagula. Her dad, by the way, owns the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Sabres. He's a billionaire, so she doesn't need the money, but she's a good player. Giorgi, though, far court, hits the net cord. Pagula looked like she got an easy put away, but Giorgi with a flick of the wrist. Backhand winner. They split the first two sets, but Georgie takes over in the third, loads up the cross-court backhander that Pagula can't handle, and Camilla Georgie into the final tomorrow where she will meet Karolina Pliskova of the Czech Republic. And that is it for sports. Back to you. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. And coming up, a fantastic sight to the epic drone video of people swimming with leopard sharks in knee-deep water. Our world is changing fast, but the plan remains the same. Ask the questions, explain the answers, provide the context. When and where BC needs it most. Global News. Navigate the now. Well, a California man was at the right place at the right time when he captured stunning footage of leopard sharks. Take a look. This incredible drone footage was shot off of La Jolla Beach near San Diego. The herd of leopard sharks were mostly mature pregnant females who frequent the area during summer and fall. The sharks are harmless towards humans, which is welcome news to those seen swimming with mm -hmm. them. Wow, incredible. <coughs> Oh my goodness, they'll be seeing double at one school in Scotland as 15 sets of twins prepare to start classes next week. Ahead of their first day, 13 pairs met in their uniforms and posed for photos <laughs> in Inverclyde, dubbed Twinverclyde. It is the second highest twin count on record in the town. The highest was 19 sets of twins in 2015. My goodness. Oh, for those teachers. <laughs> Who's who? They're going to have name tags, I think. No kidding. Oh. Pretty adorable. Ah, Can't really cute. yell at them. They're too cute. Yeah. <laughs> well, for all the kids in our region, I'm sure many are wanting to enjoy the great outdoors. Yvonne, any rain or cooler temperatures on the way? Yeah, we're going to start to see a bit of a reprieve. Today is really the last day of the heat wave. It's still going to be a warm one tomorrow, 27 with the humid exit to the low 30s. But it's by tomorrow night that we'll start to see an increase in cloud cover, a chance for some showers. Not much in terms of precipitation, but that'll be on Monday. And cooler temperatures are going to usher in across the province. Bit of a breather, especially for the interior with Monday, Tuesday, also seeing it chance of showers and a little less smoke today yes nice. a little less smoke for tomorrow which would be great great welcome news indeed all right that's it for us tonight on the news hour at six jordan will be here at 11 thanks for joining us everybody